0: DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News, is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Alex Garland's new sci-fi horror flick, Men, opens in movie theaters this weekend, released by A24. I spoke to Garland in 2015 during the release of his sci-fi thriller, Breakthrough, Ex Machina.
1: Alex Garland.
0: Alex, it's a thrill for you to be in here. Thanks so much for uh, coming on WTOP to talk about your new movie, Ex Machina. It's not only brilliant science fiction, but it's also a really engaging sometimes creepy thriller but it poses some profound questions and even a little romance all rolled into one so uh hats off on that this is your directorial for a feature right uh
1: yeah kind of i mean i've been working (laughs) film for about 15 years but
0: yeah right right whenever i have a filmmaker and i like to kind of see the career trajectory how we got to the film first um so i know for you um you know you you wrote the novel for the beach right Mm -hmm. worked with danny boyle with that um and then you wrote the original screenplay for 28 days later Mm -hmm. um so you kind of came at it from a, a different perspective, but how did working with Danny plant seeds that maybe I want to direct as well?
1: Uh, I'm not really sure it did. I mean, I like you said, I, I used to write books and then uh, I sort of transitioned from uh, books into film. And uh, it wasn't so much working with Danny. It was, it was the whole thing. It was working with a crew and working with actors. And um, uh, actually in a way as a writer, my primary relationship was with uh, a producer. Uh, writers and producers often have a particular bond because they're the people that start a project Mm. Um, uh, a writer writes a script and then the first person on board is a producer and and usually the writer and producer sort of back the thing backwards and forwards for a while and then a director is attached uh, way down the line and um, Mm. Uh, but but really, it was just the whole thing of working on film. I enjoyed it. It was collaborative and um, uh, wanted to keep doing it, I guess.
0: Um, in terms of um, the way it's directed, um, for instance, a particular scene, um, it's after one of the first power surges when the power goes out And, um, it's the first time the AI says, don't trust Oscar Isaac's character. Yeah. Um, the scene that directly follows that where Oscar Isaac's talking to the protagonist, um, you know, and this is that first hint where we, the audience know something that Oscar Isaac may not. Yeah. Um, that's it's sort of shot like this master shot sequence but immediately pop in for the close-up there there's little little things like that where you know you can see that you you know i mean that's you working with the editor too but you can really see there's a a strong director at work and he's got that weird animal head hanging behind him a little creepy mise-en-scene like he's being watched i mean how do you go about constructing a scene like that do you do you decide that's where i want my close-up or is that more in the editing room
1: well well partly it comes from having spent a lot of time in an edit and thinking on previous films, man, I wish we had a shot of this, or I wish we had a shot of that, and mm-hmm. and then you carry that forwards and you learn as you go. But um, in terms of the actual process of shooting a scene like that, uh, it's, I mean, basically what you do is you you've got the script. Everyone agrees what they're trying to do and what the place looks like, and you know where you are and uh, the sort of basic plans. Then you get the actors in the space, and probably that's the first time they've been there, and. Uh, you just rehearse it and you you block the scene which means largely the actors block the scene they decide here I'm going to stand up or here I'm going to reach for that glass of wine whatever yeah. it happens to be and then really it's it's an open conversation initially with the dop the the two of you the director of photography you've been watching how the scene played out and you've everyone's made their adjustments and then you think so what's the right feeling what you know maybe and this could be Rob the dop suggesting it or it could be me or it could It's often very informed by what the actors have done and the sort of vibe and where they're putting gear changes. And you say, okay, well, if we're starting wide, uh, um, maybe we start to push in slowly here or dolly in or whatever it happens to be. And um, uh, typically my process is block the scene with the actors, then turn to the DOP and say, Rob, how do you want to shoot it?
0: Right. You know. Do you view kind of your, your approach to directing kind of like what they're saying about the Jackson Pollock painting kind of, uh, you know, what, what does he say? Automatic artistry, whether whether it's you have this huge plan and you know where you're going to put the dot or do you need to maybe have a blueprint, but go a little with the flow and be flexible? When, yeah, what, what?
1: more the latter. Um, I've, got, I've got a clear idea in my head about what the scene is and why it's there and what the important things that we need to convey about the scene are. And then... Uh, with that knowledge, the trick then is, from my point of view, not to get too rigid and to be able to hear what people are saying and suggesting and also be able to recognize what the actors are changing and adapting. So going with the flow is, for me, a very, very big part of it. And, and I can't underscore enough. I'll use the word again, collaboration. That is absolutely fundamental to it. I think where I felt I've watched people uh, go wrong before in whatever capacity, it is on a film. It's to do with not really recognising the collaboration and being too rigid. And uh, I think the rigidity often in a way looks like it comes from fear. Uh, you, you know, you've got an idea, you're feeling very anxious and so you want to hold on to it and you, you can't open your mind to uh, fluidity. And I, a lot of my effort is to do with
0: making sure I can hear a good idea when somebody else suggests it. Speaking of the collaboration, the musical score, is it an xylophone or what is that? It, it sounds a little close encounter sometimes with the... Doom, doom, doom.
1: Yeah, you. so the particular instrument that's used with um, Ava to score her, mm-hmm. the robot, is, is I think it's called a Celeste. Celeste. Um, and uh, it, it has a kind of purity about it. We can sort of associate it in some ways with like, nursery chimes or, right. you know, noises from childhood in some respects, a music right. box or something like that. Right. And, um, uh, and and I think it's a way of underscoring her her apparent purity and um, uh, the degree to which we should trust her maybe.
0: And uh, just going further down the idea of collaboration, um, the, the effects of the AI, um, how exactly was that achieved? Because it's remarkable to watch play out, um, you know, you have a, a real face, but the face comes up higher than the, the rest of her scalp, which mm. is, you know, robotic and the same thing with the arms. And, you know, how was that whole look conceived? Uh, well,
1: a, a, a little group of us designed Ava together um, uh, and the way, the way, this is this was a $15 million film, and so we didn't have a lot of money to splash around, but we also knew we had this huge VFX component. And so one of the things we did, one of the ways you can lose a lot of money in film production is to not be sure about what the VFX component is, how it's going to look, and to continue to adapt it and change it as you're filming. I guess this is, in, in a way, contradiction to what I was just saying. <laughs> this particular thing, we really needed to lock it down and right. feel very, very sure. Right. And so basically the the we came up with the design a group of us together and then uh the vfx guys said you've got to shoot this film in six weeks which is a very accelerated shooting schedule uh you don't have time to worry about the vfx we are gonna deal with it don't worry about it just shoot the actors shoot it as drama there's going to be no green screen there's going to be no tracking markers Shoot the people, and we will swap it all out later. And what they did was they gave themselves incredibly complex tasks to achieve in post-production. And what the production then did was give ourselves a very long post-production. So we never handed a shot over them right. to say this is one you've got to do unless we were sure it was going to be
0: in the film. So um, how does Ava look on set? Then you know you they're saying just direct it with the you know block it like they're just sitting there and we'll right. add it later. So what how, what's she wearing it?
1: So if you. If you can picture the image of Ava where she has a kind of grey mesh, a solid form in some parts of her body, and then a transparent uh, sort of skeletal form in other parts of her body, the grey mesh covered her whole form. So she kind of looked like a grey Spider-Man. And um, that's what she wore on set. And that that gave uh, Alicia, the actress, something to inhabit and feel I don't look. You know, I'm not just wearing jeans and a T-shirt. There's something different about me. And... Um, uh, and allowed her, yes, to sort of to get somewhere closer to that to that machine and that role. And then it was really just over to the VFX guys to to do some real artistry and
0: um, create, you know, things where they don't exist and pluck them out the air. Really, equally, if not more important than the VFX, is sculpting her ticks and mannerisms. That is a slight hint of a robot, but um, it's it's still very human. Well, that 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 was very much
1: Alicia. She, uh, I. I I mean, the basic thing with this movie is it's a film that puts a lot of pressure on actors. I I think probably more pressure on actors in some respect than anybody else on the production. Mm -hmm. And so first and foremost, we just needed top quality uh, uh, actors. And once we had that, then uh, I tried to give as much autonomy to the actors as possible to sort of inhabit the part. And Alicia came up with a bunch of ideas about Ava, which was to do with the way she'd move, which would not be robotic. It would be a kind of too perfect version of the way humans move. And and then she added these tiny little things and she developed it as it went along. And really, uh, at, by the end of the rehearsal period, she had, I would say, a very complete sense of what Ava was like. It didn't, it's not like it developed over the shoot. She, she had Ava kind of, uh, in her bones, as it were.
0: And, How did you uh, choose her to begin with?
1: I'd seen her in this Danish movie, um, A Royal Affair, and uh, she's very, very striking. She was very young when she acted in that, probably 20 or 21, and she's acting opposite an incredibly powerful, uh, established middle-aged actor, Mads Mikkelsen, you a know, brilliant, brilliant performer, and yet this young girl is, uh, is sort of owning the movie in some respects and carrying these scenes on her shoulders, and that's always striking when you see that. So I knew she was an amazing actress. And um, and then we spoke and she reacted to the script and she said some extremely perceptive things and she put a reading of herself down on tape and it was a kind of slam dunk. But, but I have to say, even before she did the reading, I knew she was right. In a way, the reading was more just... It, it allowed the case to be made to the financiers, I think, more than to uh, me and the producers. She's got... I think she's got like four more massive movies, and, and I mean, not little indie movies like this right. one, sort of proper big movies. She's in good shape.
0: How about Oscar Isaac? I mean, um, you know, had you seen Lewin Davis or Most Violent Year, or, or I guess, how long had you been working on Ex Machina? Yeah,
1: hadn't, hadn't. Uh, yeah, Most Violent Year shot after us, and Lewin Davis shot before, but I hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see Lewin Davis until, uh, until we'd wrapped, actually, and... Um, so you cast Oscar Isaac independent of both those movies. Independent of both those movies, but there is a thing that happens in the film industry where there's a, there's, a, there's a lag. that Everybody knows these guys are good and then they land like two or three years later. And that's something to do with the cycle of films. Gotcha. I knew and everybody knew at that time how good Oscar was. There was it was no secret. And there were lots of people trying to get him to do other projects. And so um, uh, it, it wasn't like any prescience on my part at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it looks different from the outside. Yeah. Uh, th- there's always some people that are being buzzed about who won't really land for another two or three years yeah. and of course not all of them will land that's in the nature of film but uh, of but he, he, all of these actors were, were buzzy at the time I cast them all of them just speaking of
0: Isaac's role, um, there was a scene early in the movie where I, I thought maybe you were going to go for a big, you know, Deckard, Blade Runner, is he one of his own robot type things when, when he first mentions the Turing uh, test, I think he calls it, and he says, to see if you can tell you're working with, a, a, a speaking with AI. I was like, oh, maybe he's one of them. But um, did, did that ever noodle in your mind? Or I guess it, maybe that wouldn't have spoiled the whole thing you were going for in terms. No,
1: no, of- no. I mean, that... It it was something I thought about, but not thought about as something that the film was then going to aim for, but more actually using it. Because I know that a sort of literate sci-fi familiar audience is going to start to suspect everything because of the nature of this kind of story. And and so there are little nudges to sort of push people towards that direction, Mm. like oddly symmetrical scars on somebody's back or... Uh, a sort of story about a car crash that seems slightly too convenient or whatever it right. happens to be. And um, what what that does is it serves to take attention away from some of the other things that are going on um, and to in a way use the literacy of the audience as, a, as a, almost like as a plot development mm-hmm. technique.
0: Stay tuned for the rest of my conversation with Alex Garland, but first a message from a fellow WTOP podcast. DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News, is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Welcome back to Beyond the Fame for the rest of my conversation with Alex Garland. And with the role of Ava, and then last year we had Under the Skin, another sci-fi movie, and w- her where she played and K- her. And her, yeah, of yeah. course. The year before, what do you think it is? I mean, you said the acting things move in cycles, but do you think premise-wise and story-wise and theme-wise things move in cycles too? What's making that pop right now in this time in the universe? I do,
1: I do believe in zeitgeist. I remember, you know. I remember back in the 80s, there's suddenly being this flood of Vietnam War movies. There yeah. was Full Metal Jacket and Platoon mm-hmm. and Hamburger yeah. Hill and they just sort of arrived. And, and, and it, yeah. it happens, it's cyclical. Um, uh, why it happens and being able to anticipate what it's gonna be in another few years, that's kind of like a, a dark art. I've got, yeah. in, a, in a way, I've got no idea. <laughs> I, I suspect in the case of the AI stuff, it's, it just stems from a generalized anxiety and fear of, of tech. Yeah. Tech companies, government agencies, uh, the phones in our hand, the laptops in our office, and, and yeah. feeling that these things understand a lot about us, and we don't understand much about them, and and that that then gets transmuted and manifested as uh, yeah. as AI cautionary tales, something like that.
0: We've talked a lot about as of you as a director in this movie. What about you as the writer? Um, what sparked this idea? What what got you going down this path? Um.
1: Uh, it, it was an interest in, initially it was an interest in artificial intelligence and uh, and reading up about it and trying to get my head around some of the issues to do with it. And and when you start reading about issues of strong AI, so not the AI in your phone or, or on a video game, right. but but sort of self-aware AI, it inevitably then becomes a discussion about what self-awareness is and that becomes a discussion about us, about what human consciousness is. and And then as soon as you've got The idea of a sort of uh, it's a it's like a perfect sci-fi conceit by looking at a robot you're actually looking at humans and then you're looking at the way humans and machines and then humans and humans interact with each other and how we establish what's going on in each other's minds or fail to establish what's going on that that became like a, a really interesting
0: subject matter it felt like for a movie yeah Absolutely. I've been in AI the whole time we've been talking. You didn't even notice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. That's hilarious. Um, so what, what's what's next going forward? I know um, you wrote Halo, right? Oh, no, Halo? no, I
1: wrote that. We're talking about like 13 years ago. I was contracted by Microsoft. I wrote the script. I handed yeah. it over. Then I got sacked and I never heard anything about right. it again. So it's more than, more than 10 years wow. ago. Wow, so
0: that's been a long wait and forever. Um, and then what about, you have Annihilation, right? That's a book adaptation.
1: That's what I'm trying to set up at the moment, yeah. So uh, tomorrow or the day after, I think I'm having a meeting with some important guy to try and get money to make that movie up. What's that one about? Uh, it's it's based on this novel by a guy called Jeff Vandermeer, and it's about a group of women that enter into a, a sealed-off area of North America, um, uh, sealed off by the government. Uh, to figure out and to discover what's what's happening inside, and so it's 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 about what they what they discover there, really.
0: Cool. And there's also been rumors, maybe maybe of a 28 months later. There was a 28 days and 28 weeks. Is that is that all just speculation?
1: Uh, the the rights for that were frozen for a long time between all the people that made the first one, which was uh, Danny and Andrew and me and Fox, and uh, we uh, decided. That that it might be a du- sort of an idea to look at it. I'm not really involved in that. That's mm. Andrew McDonald, the producer, and um, gotcha. and he's yeah he's investigating. It. He's paid someone to write a script, and uh, I hope it's good because I get a passive
0: payment out of it. So <laughs> <laughs> I like it to get made. Exactly, it can only benefit yeah. you. Um, is 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 science fiction something you think you're going to grapple with for the rest of your career? Um, I like
1: sci-fi. I like sci-fi because you can put big ideas in it and not be embarrassed and right. sort of awkward about it. Right. Uh, you put some of this stuff in a thriller or an adult drama and people almost feel embarrassed, you know. Right. But, um, uh, but yeah, sci-fi gives a lot of permissions, uh, and I, I like that a lot. But, you know, uh, whatever. You know, I keep thinking about political thrillers at the moment, so maybe something like that.
0: Do you have a favorite political thriller? Oh, i got... Loads. Parallax View. All Parallax the View's men.
1: fantastic. All the Presence Men is fantastic. Three Days of the Condor. Yeah. I do like those seventies. Seven days May. Well,
0: I guess that's sixties, but yeah.
1: Yeah, but the seventies sort of paranoid. The sort of post Watergate
0: conspiracy thrillers are pretty fantastic. Yeah. Is that also because you can do big ideas? I mean,
1: I think it's just because they're they're kind of electrifying. Yeah. Right? There's something. I think I think the seventies is kind of a golden era of cinema. No and, doubt about it. Um, uh, you, you were able to to get a certain kind of uh, adult drama and a lot of people would turn up to watch it Yeah, and um, uh, it gave a lot of fantastic filmmakers a fantastic opportunity
0: yeah I think and if I had to put the dates on it I'd say it was probably about 67 to, to 1980 that like little wind because 67 was good Bonnie and Clyde it? all that stuff and then maybe Raging Bull in the end But so go I mean, on
1: wh- wh- why did it all stop
0: I, why do you think it did? I'm I, asking you. Oh, I, I, I think um, I mean I'm looking from you know 50,000 feet on the other side of the coast, but um, I think it was the uh, sequel-driven '80s man. I think yeah. uh, I mean I think you had some really great you know you had kind of Jaws, which was a great movie, kind of set it off. Star Wars also really original imagination, but great movies themselves, but spawned a culture of uh, let's just revive everything and not have more movies like Ex Machina, which is you know this original seed. Uh, i think that's kind of where we went off the rails but
1: um i think sequels I uh, yeah i think i would agree with that yeah sequels were dangerous in all sorts of ways i mean it's problematic because of course some sequels are great right the godfather empire, part two uh, yeah but actually empire strikes
0: back empire strikes back is, absolutely
1: is a you know the you can make a reasonable case that that's right. that's the best of sure. those star wars movies sure. to date who knows what this new one's going to be
0: like but sure um, so so yeah it's not i mean i guess it's there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, I don't know. I, that was my. What, what? Do you have a take I, on it?
1: I think you're pretty on the money. Yeah. I, that it, or put another way, the, <laughs> <Follow> the money. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. The the thing that underlies a lot of this is money. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, if you look at Exorcist or Alien, yeah, like would those films be massive movies now? I don't think they would.
0: Right. And it's those. Those. Those are the directors that you know. It was you had Friedkin makes. You know, a French connection wins best picture, but the, and then goes. Oh, and, and, and there's two, <laughs> there's another sequel. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, well, anyway, yeah, go The actors just had sequels too. No, but and didn't French thing. connection as well. There was just this flowering of all these great filmmakers popping up. Um, and uh, but also, I think more of it was the audience appetite to go see it. I mean, it was it, there was that. Uh,
1: there's something, there's one thing I do think, and I it, it's the area that television, American television, particularly. Mm-hmm. Has occupied which is that there was a period where adults made films for other adults yeah and then I think increasingly what happened was adults made films for kids right. now, that's a massive generalization mm-hmm. but there's a sort of underlying truth to it generally yes yeah. yeah and and uh, when I think of the 70s films I really love they are films that are aimed basically at adults they've got right mature themes and they've got complicated ethics and they're yeah. gray in all sorts of areas and they're not primarily visceral entertainment there's some kind of agenda going on there um and uh so you that could be the godfather or apocalypse yeah. now or parallax view or three days of the condor or whatever
0: it happens to be <laughs> funny you mentioned apocalypse now there's a, i thought of colonel kurtz a little with oscar isaac just often his little isolated little you know talking about these big themes that he's kind of you know slowly I mean, he's the only one he has in there to talk to, other than these bots. But um, no, we used to talk about that too with
1: uh, me and Oscar. I mean, really? too much time upriver, and we used to talk about Kurtz. So you actually, mentioned Kurtz, so oh, I wasn't yeah, just yeah, yeah. picking
0: that up on my own. No, no, no,
1: no I, absolutely. We spoke about
0: Kurtz quite a lot nice maybe maybe the more maybe it's more of a Dennis Hopper in apocalypse <laughs> we can well, land on a the, fraction you gonna... <laughs> yeah 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 sort of dude but, speak stuff yeah. yeah absolutely well i mean it, just to wrap up is there any way we can get that back where the film industry is making it more for for adults or uh, well
1: i think there's lots of people who are i think the Cohen sure. brothers and people you, you know uh, Anderson and that there are people out there perhaps yeah. 100% doing it. You know, I loved inherent vice and yeah. Uh, so, so it's absolutely out there, but the real place it exists these days is American
0: drama on yeah. television. Yeah. Uh, Men, sopranos, all uh, that stuff.
1: If you, you get the feeling, if Tennessee Williams was around now, he'd write for American TV and it would be something like Mad Men. I mean, it's,
0: so is that something you want to do television?
1: No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. I read some article the other day that that is what i was doing and i was thinking what am i i don't know that yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> I, I i like film i like cinema i like the fact that it's kind of a short form medium like yeah. it's a story in an hour 45 or two hours. story yeah yeah and there's there's a kind of compactness to it and it doesn't there's something about there's something scary about from a writer's point of view i'm a writer yeah. basically and writing gives you get lots of freedoms in television but man you've also come up with 700 page script, yeah. and uh, and I kind of prefer to write 110 page script, <laughs>
0: that's more my speed. Absolutely. Is there anyone out there right now in the film industry then that's really you know kicking ass that you would really admire? Oh, yeah, loads. I mean, I,
1: I, I just said actually Coen yeah. Brothers and Anderson oh, and uh, what, PT Anderson, or PT, West? oh, both right, uh, but but I I really loved Inherent Vice and uh, uh and actually, um there will be blood i thought it was a spectacular piece of filmmaking fantastic and, uh, so um the, the, oh there's a lot of people out there there's a lot of people out there when i see lewin davis it, you know when i finally got to see it, it really blew me away mm-hmm. um uh it's it's not it's not whether it's getting made or even whether it's getting supported by financiers and distributors it's actually audiences right that's the truth true that's the sort of That's the underlying truth that people tend not to talk about. It's like, oh, the film industry. Blame the studio.
0: Blame yourself. Look in the mirror. What are you going to see?
1: (laughs) Because people will watch it on television, but they don't want to go to the cinema to see it so much. And, you know, I I kind of get that. I'm not apportioning blame, except actually I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can certainly blame you for a a great, fascinating little movie here. So congratulations on Ex Machina. Thanks, man. And uh, thanks for coming on WTOP. That was a pleasure.